the Lord Jesus is so very, very good. He is infinitely patient and kind and merciful. Everything he gives to us is way better than anything the world could give us. He loves to lavish his grace and mercy on us. He cares for us. He holds us. He is so wonderful, and yet uh, so often we are prone to forgetting. One of the reasons we sing together is to remind ourselves of how good he is. I often have to uh, check myself when I think of sharing Jesus with my friends, as I get worried uh, that he might not quite be good enough for them, that the idea of knowing Jesus is not that exciting thinking that they may uh, prefer other things. And I forget just how wonderful he is, of how even the fullest life he can make better, of how he can, as that psalm said, redeem people from the pit. I hope as we uh, look at this passage in John, uh, as we gaze at Jesus together, we will see how wonderful he is. And it is so uh, refreshing and lovely to know that the more we look at Jesus, the more beautiful he becomes. Pretty much everything else uh, in the world, the more you look at it, the more you see the faults and the, the things that have gone wrong. But it is not so with Jesus. The more we look at him, the more we see his beauty and perfection. And so it is a wonderful uh, privilege to get to do that together this morning. Now, to look at Jesus, uh, we'll turn to John chapter 10, uh, continuing where we are from last week. Uh, the words are going to come up on the screen behind me, uh, with verses 22 to 42. Uh, there's also Bibles at the back. Uh, they might be helpful because we're going to, um, it'll be helpful to be able to look back up at the page at the passage from last week, uh, as this is really a part two um, to what Jesus said last week. Uh, this is John 10, 22 to 42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, You are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said, I am the Son of God. 
If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. Amen. Uh, John gives us a couple of uh, clues um, that help us to uh, picture the story in our minds. Uh, these are for us at verse 22, 23. He says, at the time of the Feast of Dedication. Uh, it's just another way of saying Hanukkah uh, that's still celebrated today. And he also gives us a place that Jesus is talking and walking. Uh, he's in the colonnade of Solomon, one part of the temple. And it's not just to help us picture the scene, but this backdrop that Jesus is speaking in front of gives greater weight and magnitude to the words Jesus says. Uh, So if we consider uh, uh, these two things, this Hanukkah uh, and this Colonnade of Solomon for a moment. Uh, In Hanukkah, they celebrated the rededication of the temple. Uh, So a couple of hundred years before this, uh, the Greeks had moved in and they had completely desecrated the temple. Inside the temple, they had built an altar to Zeus. Uh, They had forced uh, the Jews to do things completely against their practices, uh, like eat meat that had been forbidden from them. And then uh, these heroes, these warriors, the Maccabees had come in and they'd rid uh, the place of the Greeks. And so here, uh, they celebrated that. These warriors, these heroes that they looked up to. In fact, the way they greeted the Maccabees when they rode into town was how the people greeted Jesus with the palm trees just a couple of chapters after this. We've got uh, these pictures of these heroes in the backdrop. And we also have this colonnade of Solomon. Uh, Solomon, that great king, uh, king over Israel when it was probably at its most prosperous. The king who was in charge of the first temple being built, the place where God was said to dwell. A great king, a king they no doubt longed to have again. That's the backdrop Jesus is speaking in front of, in front of these heroes, the people uh, they have looked up to, the people that they longed to come again. And it is in the context of those heroes that Jesus declares to them that he is even greater than them. Look at verse 29. It is initially not himself, he says, who is greater, but his father. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And now if there's anyone that the people listening to this are going to be able to say, yeah, they are greater, it's going to be the father. Of course, he is greater. He is the one who made the universe. He is the one who has made all these people that stand before them, made the heroes that they revere so much. Of course, the Father is greater. It's not controversial. But then Jesus hits them with with verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. And after he says that, they're intent on killing him. He says to them, amidst the backdrop of these heroes that they respect and love so much, I am greater than all of those because I am one with the Father. The one standing before you is God, he says. 
and they can't accept it. They can't look at Jesus and say that he is greater than all. We often struggle uh, with that same problem. Being able to look at whatever uh, is before us or around us and truly say with our hearts that Jesus is greater than all. Uh, Through circumstance, uh, either good or bad, it can be a challenge. Uh, Just over a week ago, I was at a particularly heartbreaking funeral. Uh, A couple of my friends from university uh, had been expecting a baby. Uh, Everything uh, throughout the whole pregnancy had gone really well. And yet the the day their baby girl was born, uh, she was found to be with no heartbeats. Uh, She needed a whole lot of resuscitation. Uh, Throughout the process, there were some uh, glimmers of hope, but also quite a lot of despair. Uh, She died uh, seven days after being born. Uh, Just over a week ago, there was the funeral. One of the repeated lines uh, throughout the funeral uh, was from Job 1.21. Words Job says after losing his family and all his possessions. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It was incredibly beautiful and challenging uh, to see my friends amidst such heartbreak be able to declare how good God is. And they're, they're pretty wonderful people, but I, I don't think it was primarily a testament to their resolve, their own level of strong faith, but a testament to just how wonderful God is. That even in the worst of all circumstances that we would hate to even imagine, it is still possible to declare that the Lord is good. That the Lord Jesus is greater than all. But it's just not uh, in the worst of circumstances we can feel that challenge uh, to say it, but also uh, when life seems to be going well and it seems to be okay. Uh, We know how easy it is uh, in an affluent part of the world to just fill our lives with stuff and things, uh, to have that uh, dream goal in mind and potentially to be able to achieve it of a life where we have whatever we want. I think as we face, uh, particularly in cults and Beardside, our challenge of evangelism to the community, we see so much of that. Now, people who, at least on the outside, appear or believe to have everything they could possibly want. And so what need would they feel for Jesus? He would just be a little add-on. There's a challenge to look at all that we do have and say, even if that was taken away, we would still be able to say that Jesus is greater than all. I wonder, as you consider that challenge, uh, at least for me, Um, or as I look at my friends who who do it so much better than me, it feels a little guilt-inducing. I recognize that I failed there. Uh, But I'm comforted that the solution is not for me to try a lot harder or to get rid of lots of things or to gain lots of things. But it is, as I said at the beginning, to just look more at Jesus and to see more of who he is. It is so true that as we look at Jesus, we do not see any more faults. We just see his perfection more. And so if we want to be able to say that he is greater than all, what we just need to do is spend uh, more of our energy or more of our time looking at Jesus, asking him to show us more of who he is. And as he does that, as our eyes are transfixed on Jesus' face, everything else will uh, grow more dim.
and we will see that he is greater than all. Now we'll go back uh, just a couple of verses to verse 28 and 29. And we're going to spend a little time here. Uh, the reason these verses, uh, more than some of the others, is because of the repeated phrase, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Uh, in Jewish writings, as to be fair, in most writings, something repeated, uh, they really want you to get and they emphasize it. Uh, so read verse 28 and 29 again. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Uh, Jesus, uh, in his words, is following on from the sheep and shepherd imagery used earlier in the chapter that Martin spoke about last week. And he gives this great promise, this great hope, that no one will snatch any of his sheep out of his hand. In fact, no one will snatch any sheep out of the Father's hand who has given them to Jesus. And there's four beautiful pictures I want us to see from this. The first is that Jesus stoops low with those hands to scoop us up. In Jesus coming to earth, his humiliation, as they say, we see a God motivated by love who would reach down from the heavens to pick up a people in desperate needs. To be a light that shines in darkness. And we also celebrate that, not, that, he, that he did not come just as some sort of king or ruler or somebody with great honor or majesty. But here he emphasizes himself as a shepherd. Those on the bottom rung of the ladder. He really stooped all the way as low as he could go, which meant that we could all get in. That us, whether we feel like we deserve it or not, whether we feel like we fit into society or not, whether we feel good about ourselves or not, can be scooped up and wrapped up in those hands. Because Jesus has stooped low to scoop us up. The second thing I want us to see from that picture is that Jesus will not let us be snatched out of his hand because he loves us so much. Uh, if for some reason you had the miracle of catching me in the kitchen sometime uh, and I was holding a dishcloth pretending to wash some dishes, if you tried to snatch that dishcloth from me, I reckon I'd put up a pretty valiant fight, but you'd probably be able to take it away and do the dishes yourself. If I was holding an Xbox controller somewhere and you tried to snatch that off me, you'd probably end up losing an arm or an eye. I'd hold on to that because it's what I love. Jesus Christ, in the face of wolves uh, that we saw last week that would seek to snatch us from him, does not let us go because he loves us. In fact, uh, he says in verse 15 of chapter 10 that he will even lay down his life for the sheep. The love that Jesus has for all his sheep is so great that he would lose his own life rather than let us be snatched away. There are so many things that would seek to snatch us. Things in this world, the devil himself, and of course our own sin. And it is that death that he dies for love that deals with that sin, that sin that would and has separated us from him. He has died to defeat it. 
He has died so that it will not anymore take us away from God or keep us away from God, but that he will be able to bring us back to him and reconcile us to him. Jesus will not let us be snatched out of his hand because he loves us. And he died to make sure of that. The second, no, the third uh, picture from it I want us to see is that these wolves that would seek to snatch Jesus' sheep away have been once and for all defeated. As we uh, so often celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus, we say words like, death is defeated. Death, that great punishment uh, that we deserve for sin, that would seek to keep us away from God, snatched out of his hand for all eternity, is defeated. Jesus has risen. Jesus is victorious. And we also look forward to a day uh, when the devil is thrown into that sea, the lake of fire. Where we see the victory and we celebrate that these wolves are gone. It may so often feel uh, like we are under attack in our faith. Uh, I don't mean uh, persecution, but it certainly could be. But just that it is so often a challenge uh, to maintain our faith in Jesus. That whatever it is seeks to snatch us away. But we trust in a victorious king who has defeated whatever that is. In his resurrection, he has defeated these wolves this death that they will not snatch, about, snatch us out of his hands. The fourth thing I want us to see is that we are not kept in Jesus' hands by our own grasp of them, but by his grasp of us. I consider again for a moment those listening to Jesus' words the first time. Uh, they, as they celebrate Hanukkah, are remembering uh, for a while a pretty awful time in their history a time when their grasp of God would have seemed to be very, very loose because he has been snatched away from them or they have been snatched away from him. Their temple, uh, where they came to worship God, to offer sacrifice and worship to him, is desecrated, effectively uh, rendered useless. Consider uh, those that are reading John's words for the first time, so uh, 50 years later than this happened. Uh, They, as well as remembering the story of Hanukkah, will also be looking back on the temple being destroyed completely. Uh, In AD 70, the Romans destroyed the temple, uh, left nothing uh, really of it, and hasn't been rebuilt. Again, they can look back at a time and think that their grasp on God had been taken away. That perhaps God had been snatched away from them. I think that's an experience we can probably resonate with uh, at some point in our lives, either now, in the past, or we will in the future. That our hold on God that potentially at one point uh, seems so strong seems to be slipping. That we may sing the words that we sing at church, but we know our hearts are failing quite, falling quite far behind. Or that we are struggling to know the words to pray that we are struggling to carry on, that God feels far from us. We do not need to worry or be afraid when that happens. We are not kept as one of Jesus' sheep because we keep a hold on him, 
we are kept because he keeps a hold on us. One way I found that he does that in life that is, uh, I'm so thankful for his church family. That there are so uh, often times uh, feeling at the end of myself that I'm held up and lifted up by the people that God has given to me. It reminds me often of that story of Moses in the battle, his arms being too weak to hold up his staff, but there are others who lift them up for him. When God feels like we have let go of him, he is holding on to us. He will not let anything snatch us out of his hand. After uh, Jesus says these words and, and says the words, I and the Father are one, uh, the people threaten to kill him. Uh, they try to stone him, but Jesus escapes. Uh, he evades uh, basically to the middle of nowhere, uh, east of the Jordan. Uh, the reason they want to kill him uh, is they accuse him of blasphemy. Uh, Jesus, in claiming to be God, uh, one with the Father, they're unhappy happy about that. Uh, Jesus, warning to them is to not charge somebody with blasphemy without actually assessing it. Uh, Jesus quotes from Psalm 82, uh, in which people are referred to as gods. Uh, it's a pretty uncommon event in the Old Testament, uh, but it was, to some degree, acceptable. And so Jesus is saying to them, hey, if you're going to charge somebody with blasphemy for this, uh, then really what you're saying is that these things that were said in the Old Testament are not true. And so he says, assess me. Look at my life. Look at the works that I've done. And consider the question, am I God? Uh, they reject him. They don't do this. And so he has to escape. Escaping out to the middle of nowhere. And yet it is out in the middle of nowhere that we see salvation come to those who would believe. Uh, look with me at verse 41 and 42. And many came to him. And they said, John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Verse 41 and others like it are one of the greatest comforts to me uh, as a Christian who wants his friends to know Jesus uh, and as somebody uh, who gets to preach. Because they remind us that we do not need to be spectacular or that gifted or that special. We just need to point people towards Jesus. Uh, John did no sign. There was nothing that you would look at John and say, yeah, of course I'm going to believe whatever he says. All John did was point people towards Jesus. We have a wonderful opportunity to do that with Alpha starting tonight. We just get to say to people, hey, come and meet Jesus. And to trust that he will do the work. It is a great comfort as a church to know that we do not need to be spectacular uh, we do not need to impress the world with all the fancy things we can do. We just get to point them to Jesus. And the result of that, uh, in John's case, was that many believed in him. If you were to plan out the life of Jesus yourself, you would think as he centered on Jerusalem, that's where people were going to come and believe. That was the center they all traveled to to worship God. That was the big place. That was where you'd want to go. But it's out in the sticks where people came to believe, the unlikely ones. And that's a challenge to us again. Who out there have we not even considered inviting to Alpha or inviting to church or invited to know Jesus? 
who out there seems like the unlikely one, like the left out one, like the forgotten one. We'll know so many, and we'll know that they really need to know Jesus. We ourselves are another picture of this part of verse 41 and 42 coming true. Uh, we live, uh, obviously, in Scotland. That's not news to anybody. Uh, but you will, uh, if you were um, somebody living in Israel at the time, Scotland is out in the sticks. It's the middle of nowhere. It's not a place they've heard of or that's been discovered um, or anything else. But the gospel has gone forth. People have brought it to lands that it has not been before. People have brought it to people that have not heard it before. And people have believed. Not because they brought it really well, but because Jesus is so good. And so we too today, knowing the goodness of Jesus, get the privilege of going and telling so many others about him. Pointing them towards him. And for those who believed then, for us who believe now, and for those who will believe in six months or a year's time or ten years' time, there is the beautiful hope of relationship with Jesus, who would stoop down so low to scoop us into his hands, who would die out of love for us, who would rise to defeat sin, and who will hold us in his hands for eternity. that we will be gathered in his arms again together. I'll close uh, by thinking on uh, Isaiah 49, 16. It's the passage uh, where God tells us that we are engraved in his hands. These hands that hold us will not let us go. They will hold us permanently and forever. They will hold us there in love together. The Lord Jesus is so, so good. I pray and hope that we will see him more as a church. That we will recognize him. That we will feel held by him. And we will know his love for us. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for how good you are. For how you sent your son down to scoop us up. For how you sent him to die for us. For how you raised him from the grave. And for how you hold us from now into eternity. Lord, help us to know this more and more to share this more and more with those who need to hear it. Thank you that your love for us is way greater than we can possibly imagine. Thank you for being good to us and for holding us. Amen.